How are y'all doing? Great. Um, I'm doing like fantastic because I don't know if y'all know, but I won the World Series yesterday. Like my team, and I was part of it, part partly responsible for it. So um, coming up on Tuesday, you may have heard about this. There's an election. Um, you ever heard about this? If you haven't voted, I, like I know many, many people who have been very frustrated with um, the process of voting. A lot of people is like, look, I'm, I'm just not going to vote because I just don't trust it. My vote's going to count. The only way to make sure, 100% sure, that your vote does not count is to not vote at all. Um, otherwise, please, um, we, as we as leaders in the community, we have responsibility to lead well, and part of that is, is getting involved in the process of electing, um, hopefully prayerfully electing godly people to to lead us, right? So, um, and if you feel like you as you're going through the ballot, if you're voting and you feel like somebody's you just can't vote for them, you can do this crazy thing like skip that one, and you're, all the rest of your votes still count. Okay, so um, are y'all with me? Please, please, please vote. Um, now, I, I need to tell you, I need you to stay engaged with the whole message because uh, there's going to be some parts that uh, if you just check out and you're not thinking about it anymore, uh, then you may uh, check out in your mind and then you may start to, to you may leave and start to form a uh, well-armed militia. And I do not want you to start a form a well-armed militia. If you are not already part of a well-armed militia, I know some of you are already part of a well-armed militia and uh, just I'm, I'm a little worried about uh, you guys so um, but I want to say um, I was in a thrift store this week and as I'm I'm walking there I always look at the books because you can never have too many books right like books are, are great uh, so I came across this book and it is uh, is it's an occultic book of spells and incantations um, no, no, look, it, it just drew me to it, so I, ha I had to go check it out. And uh, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a couple of these uh, these occultic spells, and uh, I want to know how they land with you guys and how you feel about this. You know what's crazy to me? No, okay. This. Side note, side note. You know, uh, it makes you uncomfortable. Like you start squirming in your seat a little bit. Because you, you immediately think, if, if I read a spell out of this spell book, uh, that it's going to get on you. Some darkness is going to be opened up in the room, and it's going to get on you and get on your family. Every week I come in here, and I read the Bible to you, and somehow that's not going to affect your life? Spe look, this, just so you all know, this is not a book of spells. Uh, this is, I would never, ever, ever even look at a book like that. Uh, this is a, a church administration book from the 40s. Uh, so, but it looked like it could have been something. You say, no, I, I believe the Bible. I believe that it's true. I believe that the Bible um, is, is the word of God. I believe that it can affect my life. And then you go on with your, your worries, and you go on with your anxieties, and you go on with your fears, and you go on with your life, and you somehow think that that book doesn't have power in your life, like it does. The Word of God is good, and the Word of God is actively um, alive in our lives, right? And if, in Hebrews 4.12, it says, Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart just as much today as when the writer of Hebrews originally wrote it thousands of years ago. It is just as sharp and just as active today. And I'm always amazed because I've been reading the Bible for a very long time and I've been studying and intently studying the Bible. And I'm just amazed that every time I read it, how accurately it speaks to the situation that I'm in that day. And not only that, but us as, as our culture, it still speaks to us very clearly that today as it did when, when the, the pen first hit the paper. It is absolutely amazing. It is not a textbook. It is a book that is alive and active. Amen? So we're in the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John since y'all were all teenagers. And we will continue to be in the Gospel of John until we finish the Gospel of John. So uh, today we are in – look, I'm going to have to use a micro. Is it, is it this mic? It's, it's very distracting for me. So um, can I have a handheld? Just mute this channel. All right. Whoa. Kendall doesn't talk as loud as me, apparently. I'm just going to turn this Sorry, guys. There's always some kind of technical distraction. Um, it's, it's that spell book. We brought that spell book in here. Church administration book. Okay. Chill. There's some churches that I wouldn't have been able to get to the point of that uh, message. They would have come up and grabbed me and drug me off the stage. And um, So anyway, we are, we're in John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. We're going to go a little bit further than 30, but uh, y'all are okay with that because I have control. Uh, so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Who is he here? Jeez, I'm just making sure y'all are staying engaged. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you all along, dummy, from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The Gospel of John, I've said this many times, and I will continue to say it. It is my favorite book in the entire Bible. The Gospel of John is filled with metaphors. It's filled with, with these, these ways that God or that, that Jesus connects with us. John shows the apostles introducing people, just like we're supposed to do. John shows the apostles introducing other people to Jesus when Andrew brings his brother, Simon Peter, when Philip introduces Jesus to Nathaniel. Uh, John focuses a lot on Jesus' conversations. It's not just uh, sermons and parables. Parables are like my favorite. I love teaching on parables um, because they're these stories. Oh, country boy Jesus, up from, from the, the country land of Galilee, um, Jesus is telling these stories about farmers and about fields and about sheep. And it's like he's connecting with people through these stories and, and, and just these, these great conversations. If you remember way back when we were in John chapter 4, like 
two years ago or something. And uh, there was this powerful lesson when he was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he uses her, her comments and her questions, and he steers this conversation toward that he is the Messiah. He's the one that they have been waiting on. He's the one that they've been looking for. And it's just this beautiful way that Jesus in a normal conversation, if we could pay attention to how he does that and look and see the ways that he, he steers the conversation to the spiritual and to the eternal things. When he's talking to Nicodemus, he says no one could, Nicodemus comes to him with questions in the night. And he says, um, Jesus responds to him, no one could come to the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus turns and he leaves with more questions than he came in with. Because he's like, wait, this is so confusing. But it sent Nicodemus, as we know, on this path of finding Jesus. And so Jesus explains what it means to be born again. And then out of that conversation, we get one of the most famous, the famous uh, scriptures in all of, of history is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John shows us that sermons and stories are not, uh, aren't the only way to teach meaningful spiritual lessons. And so because Jesus taught that way, and he didn't do it the way that the religious people did it, um, they, they would get very angry with that because he was connecting with the people on their level. He brought the word that only the, the spiritual elite had, and then he brought that word down to the people, and he showed them that they can connect with God through this word. And so when Jesus' enemies couldn't handle the truth of Jesus' words, they resorted to, they resorted to violence, and they attempted to demonize him, which uh, many people fear that Christians are being demonized, and that the next resort of society will be violence against us. Now, I'm going to walk you through this, and I need to be careful. This may be true. This may absolutely be true. Whenever uh, we the people, we the people that are in Christ, we the people that are in the light, the people that are red-pilled spiritually, the ones that get it, like we understand, we're awake but not woke. Y'all? Are y'all? We walk in truth. And we do this with the utmost clarity because we are in the light. We, the things that are trying to hide in the darkness, they don't bother us because we are in the light. They don't affect us because we are in the light. And one thing we know about light and darkness is the light always wins, right? Even if you dim the lights, the light is still winning. The light always wins. And so because we are in the light, guess what? We win. In the end, we win, no matter what. As a matter of fact, the darker the culture gets, the more we're going to stand out. The darker it gets in our society, and the further they get away from truth, the more brightly you are going to stand out from everyone else. Some of you are like, yes, that's exactly what I want. And then some of you are like, I don't want that at all. I don't want to stand out. I just... It's not my thing. I can't stand in front of people and talk. You don't have to preach a sermon. Please don't. Like if you're somebody that does not want to preach, please don't. But you can preach to the one person that you're talking to. You can share the gospel with one person you're talking to. Some people want to dim their light because they're like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to, I don't want to push people away. Don't worry about pushing people away. That's not for you to worry about. You do what you're supposed to do. Okay. Let me show you what people that are that are in the light, people that are in the know, people that understand reality. Because society looks at us and thinks, well, they just don't get it. Those people are weird. They're still following this 2,000-year-old book that's like, that they just, don't, those people don't get it. 
look, we get it and they don't. We know the truth and they don't. Not just the truth that you can see. We know the real truth. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, Christian. The darkness that comes against us, we look out and we think that, that our enemies are people we can see. Our enemies are the politicians. Our enemies are the, the people that are in power. Those aren't our enemies. Our enemies are not flesh and blood enemies. Our enemies are in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual darkness. That Those are where our, a lot of people that, that I know, my friends, are like, look, let's just overthrow the government. Like, January 6th was nothing. Let's do it for real. Like, they want an insurrection? Let's give them one. Like, I know people that are like this, people in this room that are like this, Okay. Y'all know who you are. <laughs> and and whenever you say, let's let's go to war, let's have this civil war, okay? You know who your enemy, you know the person you're gonna be shooting at is? Your next door neighbor. It's not this foreign foreign enemy that's gonna come in and be like, hey, we're taking over your country. No, a civil war is amongst yourselves. That's not we don't fight our battles that way. The, our enemy is not our neighbor. Our enemy, even if they believe you totally different than you believe politically your enemy is not your neighbor your enemy is the 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 darkness that is in this world and so there are so many people that fear that we're on the threshold of increasing violence against christians or better said people that have different ideologies people that think that we're supposed to live by the bible people that have different spiritual beliefs and also different political beliefs the political divide in our country has made it has made people way more aware of our differences. Instead of where we agree, we're, we're made way more aware of where we disagree. And that's where we want to talk all the time. That's where we want to want to engage. Look, your enemy knows this. Divide and, yeah, the way we can be conquered, the only way we can be conquered is by division. So why do we keep engaging like that? Why do we keep, I have a friend who, um, anytime I, I want to talk about spiritual things and he will steer the conversation to political things and I'm like no that's not what we're talking about that, that doesn't even fit here like let's talk about spiritual things well it's only because X and I, I'm to the point where I can't be friends with this guy anymore because he always wants to talk about temporal things earthly things and I'm saying no that's not where the problem lies the problem isn't who the president is the problem isn't who the governor is or who the city councilman. The problem is that there's a dark power that seems to be winning in our culture right now. And so we have to be people that battle in a different way. And we don't have to be afraid. You know why we don't have to be afraid? Because we win. Like light defeats darkness, right? I hope y'all are with me on that. The residual effects of Christianity are wearing thin. And we are, as a nation, becoming more and more secular. We know that, right? We know that, that in schools, what happened just now with the kids? They just, like, they just release the hounds, and they're like, ah! Oh, wow. yeah, the kids are doing an insurrection right now. Golly. In, in our culture, um, the, the darkness seems to be winning because they're, they're muddying up the waters of like the way they're teaching our kids in schools. They're, they're making it very, very difficult to find truth. You know, if you look at things that, that 
you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, wouldn't have even been on the table. You're like, what is a woman? Well, it's pretty easy to define what a woman is. And there's like people get there's so much confusion and darkness and they, they pull the wool over. and You can't you can't define things clearly. It, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. When the world hates you, as a matter of fact, if the world doesn't hate you, you're doing something wrong. Okay. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And, and we freak out when we're like, oh, everyone hates me. Well, you're in a good place because the world hated Jesus first, and you must be acting like Jesus if the world hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So, I mean, if the world loves you, then you're probably not in a good place. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus' warning to his first century disciple disciples is just as important to us today. It's just as important as when it was written. When the world sees itself losing the debate about sin and righteousness and judgment, its final argument becomes violence. They are going to attempt to, I'm just telling you right now, they are going to attempt to demonize you and you are going to be in the wrong according to their, their um, scale of up and down, left and right, nowhere to be found, solid, no absolute truth. They're going to they're gonna demonize you because you don't buy into that. And it's going to get worse and worse for us. Aren't you excited about it? Huh. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Many Christians think that it's their job to convict the world of sin. It is impossible for you as a Christian to convict the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, there's a caveat with that. If you have a brother or sister in Christ, you are supposed to convict them of sin. You are supposed to say, hey, look, you're out of line here. You should not be doing this because the word of God says this. It's if you can if you can do that uh, confrontation in love, then by all means, please go do that. If you cannot confront a brother or sister in love, then shut your mouth. Okay, do not do that because you will literally push them further away from from repentance. And so you should be able to um, confront them in love. You should be able to do that. But uh, there are people that I can't because like the guy I was talking about, like, I can't confront him in love because I get so frustrated. I want to punch him in his throat. Okay, it's pastorly way to punch him in the throat. Like I, I love him, but uh, there are times where I'll start to get frustrated. And so I just pray that God would send somebody into his life that he would listen to. Um, a lot of times Christians will say, you can't judge me. Well, they're wrong. As a matter of fact, every single one of us judges all of the time. Every single interaction you have with another person, you judge that person. You can sit there and say, no, I don't. I do not judge anyone ever. That's not true. You do. You just, you're getting judging and, um, and condemning confused. You don't condemn. None of us condemn. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't condemn, but we do judge. When, when 
if you saw a child doing something wrong and they were running out in front of a bus, you would do everything in your power to stop the child from running out in front of the bus, correct? Okay, so it's just like with your brother or sister that you love. If they are running out in front of a spiritual bus where their life is going to be destroyed if they keep going, you should do everything you can out of love to stop them from doing that. Now, there's a time where – and we, I'm not going to go on this long, but there's a time where you do have to say, okay, enjoy your bus. Okay, go ahead. The Bible says that there's a time where you say, I give them over to Satan. And that's so hard, especially for people that you love. It's so hard to do. But there's a time where you have to do that so that their flesh may be destroyed. You can't, he can't destroy their spirit. Only their flesh can be destroyed. And so there are times where you have to just wash your hands and say, all right, you go have your way. I'll be here whenever you're ready to come back. The Holy Spirit does the convicting of people outside of the church. And we are people that do the convicting and the, the confrontation and the love inside the church. The Holy Spirit obviously also does it here. But it, I'm just saying you can't do it for people outside the church. People outside of a relationship with God, you can't do it. In John 8, there's this ongoing debate. Whenever I, I sat down and I read, all right, this week we're in um, verses uh, 20 through or 21 through 30. I read it and I'm like, this is just an argument. Like, what do I know about arguing? Y'all hate me. <laughs> For those of you online, everyone just laughed at me because they're mean. There's this debate. And so I was like, how, how can I, like, how can we bring this to us? So I just read it and I just kept reading, reading it over and over. In John 8, 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We covered that last week. And then all the way in, in John 8, 59, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus put on Harry Potter's invisibility cloak and he just disappeared. Like there's two things that I want to ask whenever I get to heaven. One is, hey, what's up with mosquitoes? Like, why'd you do that? And then the second thing is, how did you always disappear when they were trying to get you? Like they were ready, they had stones in their hand and they somehow, Jesus like, Poof, gone, and disappeared. I wanna do that, that'd be great. Especially like family reunions. Anyway, so this argument did not catch Jesus by surprise, and it should not catch us by surprise either. When you start speaking truth, you should always expect opposition. When the opposition comes, you cannot be like, oh, how dare you? Thought you were a Christian. Expect opposition because you are going to get it. And, and if you're surprised by it, then you're done. Like, just listen to me. I'm telling you. Expect opposition. In John 17, 14, it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Now, here's a really cool concept. The world has an earthbound orientation. For people that don't know Jesus, for people that don't believe, or they don't have heaven waiting for them at the end of their life, this world, everything in this life, is all they have. If you understand that, like you really get it in your mind, you, you start to understand why they act like they act, why, why they can step on people to get further in life, why they can, they, they have no 
no uh, care whatsoever about right and wrong because this is all they have. This earth, this planet, they will lie, steal, uh, cheat, and steal to get everything that they can possibly get for themselves, and they will only be concerned about themselves. And the reason they do that is because this world is all they have. And John 3.16, which I said earlier, said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In verse 21, he, he alludes to this. He says, So he said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. It's very important. We understand the sin is unbelief. The sin, whenever you're talking about an individual person, the sin is unbelief. As a matter of fact, all sin is because of unbelief. And it's not, it's not in, the, in the realm of uh, all sin is because of unbelief because you don't believe the word. You can say that you believe the word. But think about the last time you fell into sin. The reason you fell into that sin or you committed that sin is because of disbelief. Whatever the disbelief was, if it was, if it was a, a specific thing, you were looking for um, satisfaction in that sin that you thought you could not find, you did not believe that you could find in Jesus. It's really simple to understand in our minds when we sit here in church with all clarity and understand that, that sin is because of disbelief. The next time you, you are tempted... I dare you to say, this is the reason I'm being tempted now, and the reason I'm, I'm thinking about giving into this sin is because of my disbelief. See what happens then, because I'm telling you, it's going to change everything. And he goes on, and just a few verses later, it's a little bit different. He said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins with an S. Sins with an S. So it shows that the sin of unbelief spawns many other sins. It's where all the sins come from. Disbelief removes any barrier to sin. There's no pause. There's no second thought. And, and whenever, whenever culture looks at us, they're like, oh, those people are they're weird. They don't get it. They, they just don't understand. We're the ones that get it. We're the ones that know the reality. We're the ones that don't have to sin. The people in the world have to sin. They can't not sin. And we are the ones that have Jesus came and he flipped over more than tables. He flipped the kingdom upside down. He says, love your enemy. The last shall be first. Pray for those who persecute you. We, in our culture, we no longer live in a society where we can assume that our neighbor has the same basic beliefs and values. As a matter of fact, in this room right now, we have starkly different views on every single thing under the sun, except maybe Jesus. Like, we, we all believe that Jesus is the only way. Like, if, if you are a believer and you're in here, but the gap in the differences seems to be widening. It seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. In John 8.30, he says, And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Even the ones with this earthbound orientation, there are some of those that believed in him. But if you look at the way, as Jesus goes on, you look at the way that he responded to that, maybe they didn't actually believe. Because Jesus says um, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That goes for you. You say you believed. 
So if you abide in his word and you live by his word, then you truly are his disciple. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Where you are being held captive by sin, you need to know the truth because the truth will set you free. The word of God, the word that is, you're, you're worried about spells and you have the word of God living in your house right now, living in your heart right now. And you, if you will abide in that word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered to him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It's so funny to me. Uh, Jesus wanted to lead them to true discipleship, but their earthbound orientation cause them to take offense. Think about when you were confronted about your sin, how you took offense. What happens is you take offense, so you go on defense, and you defend yourself. Well, the only reason I was doing that was because they treated me like this, or they did this, or, or because of this. You have all these excuses. There is no excuse for a believer to do a sin. You with me? One of the things that, because I've had to, as a pastor, I've had to confront people a bunch of times. One of the number one things that, that I say to people is, hey, you just need to repent. You have never really repented, which means you're going your way. You're doing your thing. You're walking in the path that you want to walk, and you continue to walk in that path. You need to repent. You need to turn to God's way, and you need to live according to the word. You need to abide in his word because you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and you need to repent. People say, say to me all the time, who are you to say that I did not repent? Like, well, did you repent? Yes. Okay. It's very easy to know if you repented. Look, if you want to know a test to see if you repented, show me the fruit. Show me the fruit of your repentance. Because the word of God does not return void. You living your life and abiding in his word will not return void. Meaning... If you are abiding in his word, you will bear fruit in your life. There will be people that know Jesus because you know Jesus, and you lived out what, the, what it means to be a follower of Christ. So if you, whenever I say to people, show me the fruit, they're like, well, whenever I was a teenager, I prayed this prayer at camp. Okay. I don't know what that has to do with anything at all. There may be some of you in here you don't you aren't bearing fruit maybe you're it's not y'all in here but the people online you're you're not bearing fruit and you think you think you're a christian you think you're following christ but you're not bearing fruit and you're like well i would but you know i'm i'm just you know my personality is not the type of personality that I can just go out and, and talk to people and, and and do those kinds of things or you know i i love jesus i, I really do love jesus but i just have a hard time with this or I just have a hard time with Christians amen like I, I love Jesus but I just have a hard time um, talking to people that I don't really know that well I just have a hard time connecting with people I love Jesus but did you know that you can be you can love Jesus and not be saved you can love Jesus and like because for real like what's not to love about Jesus like he's really awesome like every single thing we know about him is a reason to love him and Whenever they said we are we are offspring of Abraham and and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say we become free? This arrogance is like this is Christians in the church that say, you know, I've been going to church my whole life. How dare you say that I'm not a Christian? Well, show me the fruit. 
Like, I don't care how many times you've been in the doors. What's the fruit of your life? That's how you can tell if you're living in Christ is you have fruit in your life. Tell me about the people that, that wouldn't have known Jesus, but because you lived out what it means to be a follower of Christ, they know Jesus or they know Jesus better. That's what fruit looks like. Show me the fruit of you being, I don't, I don't care if you've been saved since you were in the womb. Like, show me the fruit. You can't be saved since you're in the womb, just to be clear. Um, so if, if you don't have fruit in your life, which is these guys, like we're offspring of Abraham. Like we are already the people of God. You and have never been enslaved to anyone. This is another thing where Jesus kind of just, instead of saying, listen, dummy, you have been enslaved a lot, but he doesn't do that. He just goes on the ride with them. Like they, he could have said, remember Egypt? Like you were slaves in Egypt. Do you remember that? Or do you remember how Assyria came? Remember you were slaves again. Remember Babylon? Like you were slaves in Babylon. Hey, how about if you just look out your window right now? Like you're a slave in Rome right now. He doesn't do any of that. He, he meets them right where they are. He doesn't have to argue with them because he, he, was, he had the truth. If we could just remember that. Like we don't have to argue with people because we have the truth. Like we have the ultimate truth in life. It says in, in uh, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't that great? Has the son set you free? Has the son set you free? Has the son set you free? Don't answer this time. I want you to really think about it. I want you to internalize this. Has the Son set you free? Has the Son really set you free? If I was to sit down with you, you and I are having coffee, and we're just sitting across the table, and I look you in the eyes and I say, hey, has the Son set you free? Every single one of you is going to be like, yes. Yes, the Son has set me free. My very next question would be, why do you keep re-enslaving yourself to sin? Why? If you're free... If you're free from the bondage of sin, why do you keep going back to sin and saying, can I have my chains back, please? Please re-enslave me to sin. Because Jesus said anyone who, who sins is a slave to sin. That's not us. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. So why keep going back? Why do we keep going back? Second Peter says, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when sin controls you, you are a slave to sin. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, um, then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. I saw that happen this week. It's absolutely disgusting. As a dog returns to his own vomit, a fool repeats his folly. A, a believer goes back to sin to re-enslave themselves. And another says, a wash pig returns to the mud. The final argument of the world to disciples 
may be closer than we think. We all, every, every generation since Jesus left the earth has thought they were in the last generation. But ours really is the last generation. Maybe. Maybe not. Like maybe we just have to live according to the word, whether he's coming back this afternoon or he's coming back in a thousand lifetimes. We still have the word that is true. And we can't look to culture to show us the truth because the culture is never going to be uh the truth. The culture is never going to be the ultimate. If we look at how um, people were dehumanized all throughout, even American history, if you look at the Dred Scott decision of like 1857, um, you see that, that, that uh, an entire culture of people was dehumanized. If you look at the Nazis, an entire culture of people was dehumanized. If you look at 63,459,781 abortions since Roe versus Wade was passed in the 70s in, in the Supreme Court, dehumanized an entire 63 million, dehumanized the, the child in the womb. How long will it be before Christians are dehumanized and demonized and to, by those people that have an earthbound orientation. So I can tell you, look, this is no reason for us to be fearful, certainly. There's no reason for us to be down even because when darkness comes, we shine brighter. Like even the ones of us that are barely shining at all now, if you were, those of you who have a very dim light, even if you go into the darkest place, your dim light is going to be, you're a dimwit, okay? Your dim light, not really, your dim light is, is gonna shine because even the weakest among us, who you think, there are some of you in the room that think, there's no way, like I barely am holding it together. It's okay, stop trying to hold it together and just give it to him, because that light will shine. In Ephesians 6.12, I read this earlier, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. How do we equip ourselves for the battle that those of us who are red-pilled spiritually, those of us who get it, the ones that, that are in the light and we get it, like we obviously know that darkness is coming and it's increasing. So how do we equip ourselves? Paul tells us very clearly, look, this is like a how-to, how to overcome. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you'll be, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Christians, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It's a how-to. There's not a lot of times in the Bible where it's like just so very, very clearly. There's no interpretation needed. Just do these things. Whenever you come against it, whenever you see, oh, I'm in a spiritual battle right now, all of a sudden you get it. I'm in a spiritual battle. You're always in a spiritual battle. But whenever you realize, you're like, what was I supposed to do? There was something I was supposed to do. Um, here it is. It starts in verse 13. Here it is. Just do these things, and you will reign victorious over all of them. The psalmist asks this question. 
in Psalm 11.3, it says, If the foundations of law and order are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That is our culture right now. Literally, law and order is being destroyed. Like there are people that, I mean, large groups in our culture that are purposely going out to try and destroy righteousness. And so he says, if the foundations of law and order are destroyed, what can the righteous do? He begins the whole psalm by telling you exactly what to do. It's take refuge in the Lord. We take refuge in the Lord. You don't take refuge in your political party. You don't take refuge in, in, you, in the people that you elect. You don't take refuge in your husband or your wife. You don't take refuge in your financial security. You don't take refuge in your health. You take refuge in the Lord. Because there, there is absolutely no reason that we should be fleeing. There's no reason for us to be fearful. Even though we know the times are darkening, there's nothing for us to be afraid of. Because the light always overcomes the darkness. He is still on the throne of heaven. He is still the one. So whenever we take refuge in him, whenever we get under the authority of God, and we get under the authority of his umbrella, we are free. We are truly free when we're submitted to the one that, that has our best interest in mind. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and the most important, of sound mind. When the world goes off and goes crazy, we are of sound mind. And in that, that thing where we get it and they don't, when we have a sound mind, we are drawing people to the light and saying, look, here's the way. This is the way. Follow this way. This is the truth. This is the life. This is the light of life. This Jesus is the way. And he's the only way to overcome darkness because he is the light. Amen. God, we thank you so much for your loving kindness and for your grace and for the way you continue to just call us to deeper and deeper um, levels with you. We thank you that you have given us a way to overcome. Whenever spiritual battles come our way, we will not fear because we know that greater is he, which is you, that is in us than he that is in the world that we don't fear any spiritual darkness because we know that we are in the light and that we are the light of the world and that we would be the ones that would be beacons to people that are looking for hope, that we would have that hope and we'd be ready to share that in every season. You are so good, God. We love you and we thank you and we ask that you continue to draw people to this church and to our lives that we can show them that you are the way. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.